Exodus chapter 19, and then we'll read verse 9. Exodus chapter 19, and then uh, we'll read verse 9. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. And be ready against the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not an hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. Uh, We'll look at verse 18. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as a smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. For some of you who are unfamiliar, this passage is about Moses and the children of Israel who are in Mount Sinai. And God says that I'm going to speak to the people. So because I am going to speak to the people, I want the Jews to be ready into washing their clothes, sanctifying themselves. That means to be separate from something sinful into something holy. He wanted them to make themselves as holy as possible in appearance, in manner, in their appearance before the Lord. And then when God came down on Mount Sinai, he specifically told them that it's going to be so holy, my coming, that not only should you make yourselves appear holy, but even if you touch the mount, I'm going to strike you dead. So that's how severe, serious, weighty God's holiness is. And what is interesting, when he came down in holiness, when you look at verse 18, the Bible points out at verse 18, he came down down with the smoke, with the smoke. Now, when you see the word smoke, you wouldn't attribute that. You wouldn't connect that to holiness, to be honest. If I said, and if I asked you, you know, when you think about smoke in the Bible, Would it be usually good or would it usually be bad? Mostly it would be bad because we would probably think the Bible says the smoke of their torment ascendeth up day and night, which is hell. A lot of times when we think about or see the word smoke in the Bible, we would automatically think something bad. But unusually, unexpectedly here, smoke is connected to the holiness of God at Exodus chapter 19. What people see as something unusual, strange, or something bad, God has a different thought and he shows you, no, it's actually something holy. It's something important. And I think that is what is wrong with our world today is that our world has a total 180 mindset on how things should be. Now, the number one emphasis emphasis in the world today is love, love, peace, peace, Share, share, share. But the number one word in the Bible to God is not love. It is true that love is a very important thing to God in the Bible, but that's not his number one thing. His most important attribute is holiness. 
Now, if you're going to be seriously honest, would holiness be the top in your list today? No, it would probably be love or myself or what makes me happy and etc. But never holiness. Now, if God prizes something to be the most important thing, why don't we do that? Because we have a 180 mindset. We've been distorted, corrupted by the profanity, by the evil in our world. And we don't understand the seriousness and the weight of holiness and the value and the importance of it. So I want us to understand the value and then the importance of holiness. And something unusual that we may not understand about smoke, we might attribute that as something bad or something as unusual or strange, or we have a 180 mindset, but God says, no, it's holy. So because this will be an unusual topic on holiness, I thought it'd be appropriate to call it holy smokes. Let's pray. <laughs> Father God, I pray that you'll fill within me the power of your Holy Spirit and the cleansing of your blood. I have to preach your word. It's a holy, sacred thing. And I'm a, such an unworthy and unholy vessel. I'd be one of the last to preach. Thank you, Lord, that... It's not on my holiness we're counting upon, but on your holiness. So for your attributes' sake, will you fill within me the unction of your spirit and your power to preach, to preach, change our thinking, change our minds, Lord. We're so prone to the evil in this world, even unconsciously, even if we don't mean to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, my first point is holiness does not mean more empathy. Holiness does not mean more empathy. Now, the thing in our minds is that when we come to church, and a lot of people who came to our church the first time, they hear preaching, they hear teaching, and then they realize, wow, you know, this church is pretty mean. They're too severe, and they criticize everybody and anything. They think anything that I do is worldly, anything that I dress up in is worldly, anything that I look at or hear is worldly, and this is sin and that's sin, and I can't find freedom to do anything in my life. And then we... Don't think that, look, this is not really a big deal. That's our problem. What I'm seeing and what I'm hearing and what I'm tasting and what I'm doing, I mean, to you guys it might be a big deal, but to me it's not. It's not like I'm going out killing people. It's not like what I do hurts somebody and it's offensive and it just ruins somebody's life. So I don't think that God, he has to be so severe concerning sin. Why does God have to judge me for living just like the world does, being normal? I mean, why would God judge me for doing that? I think uh, God is being unfair. He's a little bit to me. Why does he want to chastise me, punish me, so that I can get return to live holy for him? I mean, I don't think that's a good thing to do. I don't think it's a big deal. But that's your problem. See, you know what your problem is? You, you've been so programmed, so conditioned, By the evil in this world, you don't see it as evil. It's like if you were born into a family, into a home, and you saw murder right in front of your eyes, and you're used to seeing murder, then you wouldn't see murder as something as being very evil. But the reason why murder is so severe to you, it's not something that you see every day. You're conditioned to. It's not taken as normal. It's taken by society as something heinous, as ruining somebody's life. If you are used to God's world... 
of seeing what is clean, what is unclean. And that even the smallest sin would be a high crime to him. And that's why he damns a soul in hell forever. Even if the person's a good person, God damns the soul forever. Why? Because of sin. No matter how small the sin is. The best living person in the world who did so much good works in his or her life is still a sinner at heart if you're going to be totally honest. We all sinned and we come short of the glory of God. And God takes sin that much seriously. James chapter 2 verse 10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. That's how it's explained in God's eyes. Uh, We don't understand that, but you would if you were in God's world, if you lived as long as God did concerning clean and unclean, not in your world of being conditioned of what you already saw on TV, the cuss words you're already used to hearing from your parents nowadays, even though you're a child. And then in public schools, what they talk about and what you've seen. That's why you don't understand God's mindset and his world. Because you're so used to your world that's filled with sin so much to the point. Look, isn't it common sense that if I saw one stain in my white shirt that I wouldn't use the white shirt? If there was one fly in my soup, wouldn't I dispose of the whole soup and not even eat it? It's just one little flea or gnat, but I would get rid of it. If there was one maggot in my water... You know what? I'm going to throw away the whole water. I don't care how small that maggot is. A maggot is filthy and dirty, no matter how small, or even if it's just one in number, I throw away the whole water. If there was a tear in my pants, and then it was at an area that I don't like, then I throw away the whole pants. Even if it's just one tear, I don't care. If there was one crack in my lens and the glasses that I wear, I mean, I don't care if it's just one crack, I get rid of it. I get a new lens. Now, that's what God thinks about one sin. You might say, How, why? Why would God do that? Because God, the problem is this. You guys are humans. God is God. Do you know how God functions? Do you know how God lives? Do you know how God even exists? Because of his holiness. If there is no holiness, if universe is contaminated by sin, he cannot exist. Can I repeat that again? That's how God's living depends upon is his holiness. It's his most important attribute and being. It's like us humans. We cannot live if uh, we live always under depression. So that's why happiness is so important to us. It's just, that's the same thing to God with his personality, with his attribute. And you have to understand that because that's how God operates and works... That's the reason why he takes sin seriously and he has to separate himself from sin. And he has to separate sinners into a burning hell separated from his holy heaven. You know, if you're going to be very honest and if you try to think, you know, it's not just one sin you committed in your life. That's not a big deal to the Lord. Come on, be honest. You know, you, you criticize God about him being too severe, too mean, and he's being too holy. But if you're going to be truly honest, man, it's, uh, you're not the type of person that just commits these little sins. That's not a big deal that God don't judge. If you're truly honest, you know you committed sins in your life that you deserve punishment for. The thoughts that you thought, the heart that you felt, and then the things that you spoke out of your mouth, and then the things that you did to hurt other people around you. But, you know, uh, God, he's been more than good to you. 
You know, as many times that you sinned against him every day, he says, you're still saved. You're going to heaven as long as you put your faith on the payment of my son at Calvary. He should have damned you to hell a long time ago then. So then do you not realize, I mean, our problem is we need more empathy, God. You need to be more empathetic to what I'm going through. No, that's your problem. You're so selfish. You never had one time in your life been empathetic toward God. And God, he already been empathetic towards you. What? He gave up his life. He was tortured for you. You didn't do that for him. So then you have to understand you got to all you're seeing is the smoke and the smoke. And you say, oh, I don't understand. It's not a big deal. Sin is not that much of an issue. I don't know why God is so mean. You need to see behind all of that smoke and see God's holiness and open your eyes and go, oh, I never saw that before. Oh, I have to fix up my life. Uh, why am I feeling sorry for myself? Why do I complain to the Lord? Uh, why do I not take this sin seriously? This is serious. I need to repent and forsake it, especially since I've heard it preached for many years, but I'm just too stubborn, prideful, and I'm just, let's be honest, wicked to repent of it. My second point is, my second point is holiness does not mean more earnings. Holiness does not mean more earnings. You know, we think that because I've done this work for you, God, I live clean and holy for you. Don't I earn something in return? The Christian life is a lot of times we see unfairness. We live holy for the Lord. We live clean, but yet we get persecuted by the world. We get criticized by our loved ones and family members. The devil gives us heyday. And there are plenty of people he can pick on, but he chose the holy people. I mean... Every time you think that, Lord, I've done this service for you, and then the Lord just doesn't shower you his blessing that time. And then we feel like, uh, Lord, I mean, I deserve something. Why don't you give me something for living holy for you? But your problem is this. The Bible says, uh, be holy, and you deserve it, so I'm going to pay you back. No, that's not what he says. It's a simple, matter-of-fact statement about being holy. Not that, hey, let's trade. You be holy and I'll give you a candy. All right? That's not how it works. God says, 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. You know, the only reason why you should be holy is because God is holy. I mean, uh, his existence, he fills up heaven and earth. So everything around him should be holy. So if all of creation is holy, then you have to live holy for him. That's normal. That's matter of fact in life. It's like as if, hey, oxygen is here. The air that we breathe in, that's matter of fact in life. I take in the air and I breathe. That's just normal. That's how holiness operates. It's like the atmosphere and the air we breathe in, it functions. And that's science. That's law. That's a matter of fact in life. And you just have to breathe in and breathe out holiness and just function in it. You don't deserve a candy for that. Holiness is something that should be obvious in life. Let's take this for example. You know, if you have a little child, a son, who you train to uh, potty, and you know, don't do it, you know, in your pants and don't do it anywhere else. You know, you're not like a dog going over there on the corner. You know, just use this potty. This is how you do it. And then you train them. And then sometimes it takes effort. I mean, you laugh about it now, but back then it was a lot of effort on that child. It was a lot of effort on the child, you know, to walk over there and then, you know, to follow this rule and that rule. They just want to play. They just want to mess around. But 
you know it takes it took effort for that child. And then if the child finally learned how to use the toilet and did it right, can you picture a, your 13-year-old son coming to you and say, hey, dad, you know, uh, I deserve a lot of payment. What? Why? Because I just used a toilet in the bathroom over there. <laughs> Don't make sense, right? You're like, uh, no, you're supposed to, all right? It's normal. It's normal. That's a matter of fact. You have to do that. You know what my point is? You're a bunch of baby Christians. And you baby Christians, because you're trying to live holy for the Lord, you're thinking, oh, it's so much of an effort. Oh, you know, why don't God give me a candy or something that I deserve? No, it's matter of fact in life that, hey, that if you have sinful business, you drain it down the toilet. You just don't do it everywhere that you want to do it. You know, that's your problem. And you know what's amazing? You're not supposed to get any reward for living holy. You're supposed to be holy. Does God get any reward for being holy? Holiness is something that should be obvious in life. You don't deserve a reward. But guess what? He does give to you, doesn't he? He gave you so many more blessings and grace than you deserved. I mean, how many times have you lived holy for the Lord? And then God doesn't have to give you anything for it, but he gave you something. He says, hey, you know, uh, don't worry. I got your back. You know, the people at the workplace criticize you because of your stand and living holy for the Lord. I'll take care of you. And then for some weird reason, he gave you a a raise in the pay. Or he promoted you. Or he gave you a better job. (laughs) You're so ungrateful. You're so wicked and evil that you don't even think and thank God. And don't even remember the good things God did for you. You know, that's your problem. You're that spoiled child, you know, uh, still doing potty training. You got to realize this. You don't deserve an earning for being holy. You're supposed to live holy for the Lord. My third point is holiness does not mean more ease. Holiness does not mean more ease. You know, all that uh, distorted mindset about, you know, when I'm going through sacrifice and I'm going to church and I'm reading the Bible and then, you, you know, people look down upon me for living right for the Lord. God, I deserve a reward. Why don't you bless me for that? God, I deserve something. You got to go behind all that smoke. You're in that smoke. You need to look behind all that smoke and see the actual true holiness of God. Your eyes are clouded, and you're not seeing God for His holiness, what He truly is. You're blinded and clouded by the smoke. And holiness, as I come to my third point, does not mean that it has to be easy. You know, whoever said the Christian life is easy? People uh, don't want to be Christians. They don't want to live holy for the Lord. Why? Because it's hard. It's not easy. Why do I have to suffer so much when I live righteously for his name's sake? That's why I don't want to live holy for the Lord. But your problem in the Bible, it says 2 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 5, so that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God for your patience and faith, in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. That's interesting that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. Uh, That book pointed out that the more you suffer, the more you don't go through ease in life, but rather hardship, it builds us, builds up more holiness. That's so important to understand. 
The reason why you go through trials, suffering, and situations in your life, if you're going to be totally honest, and even secular, lost people know this because I took secular psychology in a liberal university, so I know what I'm talking about. They'll even admit this, is that hardship is so important in the human life because it transforms to a new you. A, a new you. you build up more maturity. That's so important. That's all what ties to holiness is that maturity. It's that mindset. That's why hardship is important. Why? Because you've been too spoiled. You've been too dependent on the environment, on an idealized world that this is how everything should be. Everything should be given to me. Everything should be comfortable. It should meet at my plans, in my thinking, in my way, in this sort of plane. I mean, I'm not too spoiled and rotten, you know, but it should be somewhere here. No, that's still a very immature mindset. And that's why hardship is good for you because it makes you wake up out of your thinking and you go, oh, wow, actually living by myself in the Bay Area is not as easy or idealized as I thought. I have to put in effort. I have to work double time. I have to make a living. I might have to share with the rooming with somebody else. You know, that's, uh, that's just common sense in life. Common sense in life. The more you go through a hardship, it builds up more of your maturity, right? That's what happens in suffering. It aligns with holiness. It builds up more holiness. You learn, to hold, uh, you learn to control your temper more. You learn to control, uh, you learn to put in joy rather than getting depressed so easily because you're dependent on people and environment. You learn to th- be more thankful for the things that you've got. You learn to trust God more in the hardships. And what does that happen? It builds up more holiness. That's why holiness does not mean more ease. And here's another thing. I just want to add this. You know, God suffered more, way more than you can ever suffer for him. So ever, so just remember that. Don't you ever forget that. Don't you ever forget God suffered way more than you ever suffered for him. You know, you see all that smoke around you and you go... Oh, man, uh, the Christian life. I mean, why is it so difficult? Why is it that when I serve Jesus Christ, I get persecuted? And then God doesn't go my planning, my goals, my situations. I mean, it's not sinful, God, my plans, my ideas. But why don't you let things go my way? And uh, why do bad things happen to me? And then, you know, you got to look behind all that smoke. See, all you're seeing is smoke, your vision is clouded, you're blinded. And you need to go behind all that smoke and see the actual holiness of God and understand what holiness means and what it is. My fourth point is holiness does not mean more equality. Holiness does not mean more equality. Uh, This is the problem with Bible-believing Christians, especially when you serve God real faithfully and you get worn out and you get tired. You ready for this? You you might want to hear this. What you want to hear is that When you serve God so faithfully and you worked real hard and you worked harder than other Christians. But for some weird reason, these Christians, they seem to have it better than you do. And you work double time. And you are more mature than them and you are more uh, faithful to God than them. And then maybe you just, uh, if you're a pastor, you might think, Well, I've just worked as hard as that, Pastor, so I don't get it why God blessed his ministry and not mine. 
And that's the same thing with families and homes. The parents might say, well, I just raised my children as hard as just as those parents, but why did my children end up as a wreck? And then that family, they ended up better. Not fair, right? But that's your problem. Holiness does not mean equality here. You might say, why is that? Because turn to Ezekiel chapter 4. Ezekiel chapter 4. You need to understand that holiness does not work with, let's fit at your level and make everything fair and everyone has a fair trade, equal exchange. No, God doesn't work that way. You know how holiness works? Holiness works with the task given to the person that is just right for the person because that person is the right person for it. He's in the right situation for it, in the right timeline for it, and the right context of it. And that's why God put that person in that holy task. You know why? Simple. Situations are not equal. People are not equal. Did you hear what I just said? I know that goes against totally with your left-wing ideology. Let me say this again. People are not equal. All right? People are not equal. You know why? You know what the great example of that is? The great example is you pick fights with somebody else before in your life. Why? They have a different thinking than you, different personality, different character than you. Everyone is different, so God puts different holy tasks because he knows people's limitations, what they can handle. People's strengths that God should put more of a task to. Look at this one, Ezekiel chapter 4, and then we'll read verse 4. The Bible says, now this is what God commanded Ezekiel. Now picture yourself as Ezekiel and imagine God told you to do this. Lie thou also upon thy left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it. According to the number of the days that thou shalt lie upon it, thou shalt bear their iniquity. For I have laid upon thee the years of their iniquity. According to the number of the days, 390 days, so shalt thou bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. And when thou hast accomplished them, lie again on thy right side, and thou shalt bear the iniquity of the house of Judah forty days. I appointed thee each day for a year. Okay, am I reading this right? Imagine God told you, okay, lie down on your side, and then 390 days lie down. And when you're done, praise the Lord. You get raptured with me in heaven. No, no, then lie down on your other side and go about there for 40 days more. Verse 7, Therefore thou shalt set thy face toward the siege of Jerusalem, and thine arms shall be uncovered, and thou shalt prophesy against it. Oh, can I have a little cushion at least? No, no, uncover your arm and then lie it down like that. Well, if God told me to do that, I certainly wouldn't do that. Verse 8, And behold, I will lay bands upon thee, and thou shalt not turn thee from one side to another. What? Can, uh, is there a thing called break time, God? No, lie down till thou hast ended the days of thy siege. Now, if God told you to do something like that, uh, you wouldn't do that. It looked like a fool. You look like a moron doing that, especially when you're prophesying God's word. Why are you doing that, Ezekiel? God told me to do that. God told him to do that. Yeah, he's loco again, you know. Weird guy, you know, weird guy. Why did God choose Ezekiel? You know why? He was the one holy enough for that task. 
oh, unfair. I mean, uh, Ezekiel's probably thinking, ah, God, I don't know why you did this to me. I mean, why couldn't you give me something like Noah? I'd rather sooner stay inside a boat than just stand still like this for so many days. And God's like, because you're holy enough for this task, not Noah. Noah might say the same thing of Ezekiel. Why does Ezekiel get that and not me? And then God says, because you're holy enough for this task, not Ezekiel. Problem with people today is that they compare their burdens and their unfairness with each other. And you don't realize that God, the reason why he gave you that holy task, it's because, hey, child, you're perfect for it. You're the one holy enough to do it. That's why I gave it to you. I know your limitation. I know your skills. I know your weaknesses. And I know your advantages. This is perfect for you. You're going to accomplish this holy task for me. Why? Why can't you pick other people? Because I chose you. You're holy enough for it. Maybe I could find better people for that one, but I want to pick you. What if it was another person then assigned that holy task? then they would get the credit. They would get the honor and the privilege and even the blessing from the Lord and not you. God chose you for a good reason. He believes that you're perfect for it. I mean, you should take it as an honor that out of all the holy people that he could have selected, he chose you for that. Well, I don't want it. Well, if you don't want it, then fine. But guess what? Like I mentioned in the preaching, you're not going to escape hardship, trial, or problems in your life. That's inevitable in life. That's an immature mindset. That's, true. That's, true. That's an immature mindset. You're going to have to pick one. You're going to have to pick one life somewhere where you are assigned a task of holiness for the Lord because that's inevitable. Now, which one would you choose? The one that you think is best or what God thinks is best? And let's see how smart you are on what you think is best. And let's see how that works out for you. I'll tell you what I want. I want the one God gave to me because I'm just too stupid to pick the holy task for myself. I know in, I'm incapable and I'm weak and I'm wicked. So I want God to pick what's best for me because he knows past, present, future. He knows my limitations, my weaknesses. He knows what my future will be. I don't even know what my future will be. I can only take guesses of it. And let me tell you something. If you think you got an unfair load compared to other people, remember God has a more unfair load than you. You know, God bled and died for you on the cross of Calvary, lived without sin for 33 and a half years. He had no home. You all have a home. He was homeless. And yet, God, I never seen him whine and complain, but you sure do. You know why? You're seeing the smoke. All you see is the smoke and the smoke and you go, it's unfair. I see some other Christians getting it better than I do. I just work as hard as that pastor. Why don't God bless my ministry as much as that pastor's ministry is blessed? And you need to look behind all that smoke that's clouding and blinding your eyes and look behind it and see the actual holiness of God of what he is. Is your eyes opening or are you still clouded by the smoke? My fifth point is holiness does not mean more enjoyment. Holiness does not mean more enjoyment. You know, the, pro- the, re- the simple reason why people don't want to be holy is that it's not fun. It's not thrilling. It's not fulfilling in my life. I'm not satisfied with it. Holy is so boring. Being holy is so boring. People talk about Bible reading, prayer. That's a great thing and they're drawing closer to the Lord. But for me, when I read it, don't mean much to me. When I pray, he doesn't feel real. I don't know why people get excited in church. Me, I don't. 
church is church. It's so boring. I'd rather go to a ball game. You know, I'd rather stay at home and sleep all day long. I'd rather go to the bars and they call that sin, but hey, that's my fun time. Uh, that's the reason why people don't want to live holy and clean for the Lord. Because let's be honest, when you came to this church and you realized, wow, I have to quit this and this and this and this. What can I listen to then in my music? So, uh, nearly 99% of the people asked me that when they heard that. It was like a shell shock. Like, then what do I listen to? <laughs> people ask, what do I wear then? People ask, what do I do for fun then? See, that's the thing. You know what, how sad it is? How sad that is because there's so many joyful things to do in life that are not sinful, but you're just so used and programmed to doing sinful fun activities that if the sinful fun activity is gone, you think you cannot live. That's how bad your life is. See, you've been conditioned, programmed. In this wicked world far too long, there are plenty of things to do in life that are joyous that is not considered sin. But here's something you have to think about is if I were to think about this way and you can follow along with my thinking here, just please follow along with my thinking and my feeling here. And then maybe you might understand this a little bit more. If I want to enjoy life to the fullest, I know what I would do. I mean, if I really wanted to do whatever that I wanted to do and I got the power to do it, what would I want to do? I would force people to do something for me. I would use that power to control if I have the power of hypnotism or literally the riches and the wealth to do it. You know what I would do? I would do things that would make uh, people miserable and sad and force them against their free will to please me, to make me happy. But obviously, a lot of us don't do that. A lot of us don't do that against other people to take advantage of people. Why? It's just too sad. That's why. It's too sad to take advantage of other people, make them miserable. And not only that, it'll make you miserable because of that companionship. You look like a jerk. That's why uh, you and I, or hopefully you don't do this, uh, that's the reason why you don't sin against people. You don't force them to do things that would make you happy. There are many sinful things that you have in your mind, but you know would make other people miserable. That's why you won't do it. That's why you won't do it. I mean, if I want a higher pay, I mean, I'm not content with the payment that I'm getting, but I want more pay. That's why people resort to the sin of stealing, right? That's why people, they find no love in their life. That's why they resort to the sin of rape, which is extremely sad. Some people, why do they commit these sins, these atrocities? Because what they want is they want to find something that fulfilled them because they don't get it in this life. Now, there are some of these heinous sins we wouldn't dare do. Why? Why wouldn't we do it? Because it's just too hurtful for other people. Makes other people's lives miserable. It's just so wrong to do that. And if you were to only think, if you were to think that about God, it's just too wrong how I would hurt the Lord on doing that. It's just not right. If you saw it that way, you wouldn't even dare commit those sins. Enjoyment is out of the picture when you think about the well-being of another person. When you think about how much you're going to hurt that other person. And then you're going to feel how evil it is to wrong that other person on what you said and what you did. 
Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 through 6 says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Do you understand God's nature? You really don't. You don't understand holiness. God is inside your heart. So every emotion and feeling that the heart or the mind thinks, you're grieving God's Holy Spirit. Do you know how much damaging and how hurtful that is? You don't realize that, do you? You don't realize God lives inside you. So any sinful thing or feeling, even the thoughts... God has to sense it. God has to go through it. Can you imagine all the crud and the dirt and the sin that's filling up our hearts that God has to put up with? And how much you're hurting and grieving God so much? Well, I just want to enjoy life. And, you know, you wouldn't think about that if you literally saw Jesus crying inside your heart. If you literally saw how much pain God is going through. And how much damage you're giving to him. Enjoyment would be out of the picture. You'll never find enjoyment in life without the companionship of God anyways. Without God being really close to you, being really real to you, and being truly your friend in hard times, you can't really enjoy life anyways. You know, you got to see behind all that smoke. You got to say, well, I don't care if it's sin. It's about a matter of my fun. It's a matter of what I want. And God should let me follow the desires of my heart. And I don't know why holiness has to take away everything good in my life. And, you know, you need to see behind all that smoke and see the actual holiness of God. Do you see that Holy Spirit grieving inside of you? That spiritual state crying out for food and you never fed that spiritual nature inside you for Days to months and years with Bible reading, prayer, and going to church. I mean, you're not seeing the true holiness of God. All you're seeing is the smoke, aren't you? Fun, fulfillment, satisfaction, what I want, my desire. See, it clouded your mind. And as that cloud grows even higher, the grief of God grows even way higher than that. My sixth point is holiness does not mean more, more exhilaration. Holiness does not mean more exhilaration. Uh, the thing is, when we live holy for the Lord, sometimes we feel like that we're not joyful, we're not exhilarated, we're not happy. And I think you have to understand this, is that true, the fruits of the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy, but joy is not the same thing as holiness. When you live holy for the Lord... There is hardship, there is sadness, there is suffering, and there is joy. And I think that's the problem why we get confused with holiness. But actually, believe it or not, holiness, in spite of its hardships and sacrifices, mingled with it, there should be a joy that always remains. You might say, I don't understand how that works. What do you mean by that? Well, let me give an example. Maybe this verse might enlighten your understanding. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 8 reads, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, whom having not seen, ye loved, in whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable. 
and full of glory. Now that passage points out that even though you go through a lot of uh, miseries and down, uh, down moments in your life, that you can be happy in spite of suffering. Amen. Why? Because the reason why is love. That's the key in there, that Amen. verse says. When you love something so much, then what happens is even if you go through the misery of it, that joy will never leave you. You know, people are happy to play outside no matter how weary their body feels if they really love outdoors that much and sports that much. People are happy to read books no matter how weary their body feels because they love books. People are happy to watch television no matter how tired their body feels late at night because they love television. People are happy to live with their families no matter how many problems might be in the families because they love them. People are happy to read the Bible because they love the words of Jesus. People are happy to pray because they love talking to Jesus. People are happy to attend church because they love hearing about Jesus. People are happy to work in ministries because they love serving Jesus. People are happy to suffer hardships because they love to be more like Jesus. People are happy to get fewer benefits because they love giving all the benefits to Jesus instead. Do you follow this? Do you follow this thinking? That's the same thing in marriage. That's the same thing in family life. That's the same thing in job life. No matter how many hardships, miserable situations they go through, if they really love that person or that thing that much, they're going to still be happy. And they'll go through sleepless nights for us. They're willing to make sacrifices for it. And that's your problem. The problem is, is that you just don't love Jesus that much. You don't love his word. You don't love church. You don't love the spiritual things of God. You don't love being clean. Mindset clean, heart clean, just attitude, life, just clean away from the filth that's in this world. You don't, you don't care about that. If you really loved it, you wouldn't hesitate to be in this church, no matter even how, many, how big the numbers are or how small the numbers are. Amen. I just want to add this. You know, it's amazing that God would put up with all the crud that you go through in your life when you sin in your life. But why is he still happy? to be with you and to be your best friend. He just loves you too much, that's it. So he's willing to live inside you and put up with all the garbage that you do in your life against him. That's why he can be happy and that's why you can be happy with him too. I don't understand. God can be happy with you with all the sin you committed against him and you can't be happy with God living inside you, living clean for him. That don't make sense. It shows how much you really love God. You don't. That's what it means. You don't. In Revelation chapter 4, we see a passage here that when uh, John goes past the cloud and behind all the smoke, he sees clearly the awesome holiness of God. And then you see those uh, cherubim surrounding the throne and crying, Holy, holy, holy. And that's how awesome and how holy our Lord is, that he deserves the, the, he is worthy to be praised for his holiness. You know, and all the bad things that happen in my life, your life, and the world around you, and 
while all that is going on, you know what's going on? They're crying out to heaven, holy, holy, holy. Inconceivable and not understandable in the human mindset because we keep seeing the smoke, the smoke, the smoke. Like the Bible says, we see through a glass darkly, right? But then face to face and there's a full understanding. In the cloud, behind the cloud, behind all the smoke, all we see is misery. We see unfairness. We ask, why God? We wonder, why couldn't God make it better? Why does holiness have to be so difficult? And there might be a lot of too many questions and hurt and pain in your mind. Some of you right now don't believe a word that I'm saying. And you're like saying, I don't get it. I don't get it. Believe this. When you pass all that smoke and all those clouds and you hit heaven's glory, the eyes are going to open wide. And even the lost sinners, their eyes would be open wide. And then they'll, they'll clutch into their filthy rags of sin. And then they're going to be shamefully before the throne of God. Because why? All they see and they feel and they experience and they breathe is holiness. And they go, whoa, so this is what holiness is. You don't get that now because you're bounded by the prison of flesh and the world and you're behind all that smoke. But when you pass all that smoke, you're going to breathe in holiness. And if you're a lost sinner, you can't stand it that you'd want to jump into the lake of fire just to be separated from that awesome holiness of God. That's why at the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be terror. Why? Because it's connected to shame. Why? That awesome holiness of God. I mean, it's like the air that you breathe. It's like that you have to see it. You can't help. You can't, keep, you can't just keep shutting your eyes forever. You have to walk in it. You have to function in it. And what happens is all that smoke that filled up and clouded your eyes and your mind suddenly dissipates when you see the awesome holiness of God. And instead of, why God? And I have a thousand questions to ask you. And Lord, I don't care. I'm going to take my chances. And... Uh, I'm going to do what I want. No. As soon as the cloud dissipates, you know what you're going to do? You're going to follow like those four cherubims and fall on your knees and cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. All gone. All your concerns, questions, uh, bitter emotions, etc. Gone. It disappears in the awesome glory of his holiness. My friend, <coughs> do you understand a bit about the holiness of God? If you still don't, God forbid you would be that individual until you go to heaven's glory. Then you know what holiness feels. But if you feel that Holy Spirit pricking your heart just a bit and giving you little glimpses and rays of holiness... I would grab every piece of light that I can because there's too much cloud filling up your heart. Every head bowed and every eye shut. The altar call is open. Get away from the smoke. Come to the holy throne of God. Bow the knee. Pray to Him. Imagine heaven's glory a bit and then pray to Him and seek after His face. Look at His wonderful face, His holy face. Get away from all that cloud. Don't let the cloud blind your understanding and your heart. My friend, if you are lost, and I mentioned about lost people in my sermon, I don't want you to leave church 
lost and going to hell. Let me ask you a question, and please answer this honestly, honestly. If you were to die today, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven after you die? Are you 100% sure? You might say, you know, Pastor, I'll be honest. I'm not sure if I can go to heaven after I die. I'm not 100% sure. It's so easy to get saved. Living holy is hard. But guess what? Getting saved is too easy. If you reject this one, you got too much smoke and cloud filling up your mind. It's so simple to get saved. Step number one. I'm sure you heard from this message. You can admit you've sinned and you're a sinner. Hey, let's be honest. I've sinned. You've sinned. Everyone's sinned. Because of sin, God punishes sin with eternal hellfire. So you have to burn forever. You got to say, well, I don't want to burn in hell forever. That's why it's so important to realize step number two, Jesus is God who died, buried, and resurrected. Now, you heard that story a billion times, but you don't even know the meaning of that story, why Jesus died, buried, resurrected. You know why he did that? So his blood can wash away every sin you've done. Remember, sin puts you to hell, right? The only thing that can get, get rid of every sin, clean up any act of sin, is the blood of Jesus. That's why he died. Oh, so since that's the only answer, why are you getting baptized to get saved? Why are you going to church to get saved? Why are you trying to live like a holy Christian and do good things and stay away from sin to get saved? That doesn't count for your salvation. Only what Jesus did on the cross counts for your salvation. You have to understand that. Okay, then what do I do with that? Then step number three, you just say it to him. That's it. You just tell him, okay, God, because I know that when you died, buried, and resurrected is what saved me, I'm going to tell you this, God, I'm only trusting in that. That's it. I accept it. I receive it. If you do that, God's going to give it to you. And your heart will truly believe that what he did on the cross saved you, and that's it, nothing else. This is your chance to get saved right now. You might say, well, I don't know how to pray to the Lord about that. Can you help me out? Sure, I can give you the words on how to say it. And you can repeat after me. You don't even have to say it out loud. Every head is bowed. Every eye is shut. No one knows who you are. You can just say it to yourself. You can say it this way. <clears throat> Dear God, I repent as a sinner. I believe Jesus is God who died, buried, and resurrected so his blood can wash away my sin. I only trust in that. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. If you could bow your head and close your eyes just one last time, please. Thank you for your patience. I'm going to wrap it up now, all right? I'm going to wrap it up now. Thank you so much for your patience. Uh, I just want to see a, a quick slip of the raise of hands. If any of you uh, just repeated those words after me, could you slip up your hand real briefly? I'm not going to point out who you are. Every head is bowed and every eye is shut. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your honesty. There's no shame in getting saved. We rejoice. We want you to get saved. We don't want you burning hell. Okay, let's close with the word of prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for salvation through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray today's preaching has convicted us, made us understand more about holy God. Oh, our priority is so Lord, uh, so low, Heavenly Father. Our priority is so low. We, when's the last time we thought about being holy? Perhaps even this morning, we didn't even think about holiness. That's sad. 
That's how wicked, that's how conditioned, how programmed we are. I pray that we will start to live holiness because your word says, be holy, for I am holy in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.